So Romans chapter 2, it's on page 967 of the church Bibles there on your seats. Um, We're continuing on reading through the book of Romans and preaching through the book of Romans. So at this point, Paul's writing to the Jewish and the Gentile Christians in Rome that he hasn't met. He's just explained that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. He continues, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the richness of of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubborn and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself against the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. Thanks, Jono. Uh, Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Andy. Um, I've actually, we've been away, I feel like I haven't been at morning church for weeks, and so if you haven't seen me before... Uh, welcome to church. Um, you've probably got an email from me if you've filled in a comment card. I'm Andy, the email guy. Uh, not the only email guy, but uh, yeah, welcome. And uh, please do come along to that newest lunch uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, thanks for all your well wishes about um, COVID. Uh, it didn't rip through our family. We've had COVID before. Uh, Claire was a bit sick, um, but we just wanted to keep our germs to ourselves. And that's the law, apparently, like, Guidelines, I'm not sure where the law and guidelines... Anyway, we didn't come to church, so, um, yeah, but glad to be here, glad to be continuing, Romans. How about we pray, and we'll get started. Um, Father God, we don't need to know a lot of things for our lives to really matter, to live out the purposes you have for us, but there are a few things that we really do need to know and that our world is trying to silence and that our hearts and our ears so often don't want to hear. And so as we come to your word, this hard word, this uncomfortable word, give us humble hearts, give us soft hearts and Holy Spirit, would you work through your word to open our hearts to the truth that brings life, eternal life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I don't know about you, but I love seeing justice done. Um, you're driving along the freeway. Claire mentioned traffic before. Uh, you're in the right-hand lane because you don't want to be doing less than 100, right? Uh, especially if you allow for the errors in your speedometer. So you can kind of get away with 110, maybe. Um, the error in your speedo, 10%. And this big SUV, it comes up behind you at 140, almost rams into the back of you. And you're overtaking, thank you very much. You're in the right lane. Just keep left unless overtaking. You're overtaking. You might be overtaking very gradually, maybe one kilometer faster than the, the car in the left lane. But they're behind you and they're in a hurry and they're breaking the law and they're flashing their headlights at you and you just stay, keep your ground. I don't know if you're this, like strong, but, you know, the you here is kind of me. Um, you know, you, you, you hold your ground there, beeping their horn, flashing their lights. What, what are you thinking as you finally pull over, you know, your heart's pumping, you've been freaked out by this crazy SUV. What are you thinking at that point? How good would it be if you come around the next bend and there's a cop with this, their gun, right? Their radar gun, they capture them. You know, justice. What happens when you get pulled over? Oh, oh I, I uh, you know, it was coming downhill and I just didn't break in time. Or The one that I did, the, I don't get pulled over all the time. But um, I was testing out a car that we were thinking of buying and I was uh, testing the acceleration and cop car. And anyway, um, it wasn't anyway. Again, justifying myself. I was doing the wrong thing. I should have got a parking t- uh, speeding fine, but I didn't. But anyway, um, we don't like judgment when it comes to us, right? We're happy for other people, those wicked people out there to be judged. But when it comes to us, well, that's what we're looking at in this passage. And it's, it's a tricky topic, right? It's uncomfortable. God's judgment. And it's like Paul is piling on. We've just had half of the first chapter talking about God's judgment on the wicked. Um, a few, uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Romans. So um, just to remind you, um, if you haven't heard Andrew's talk, by the way, on Romans 18, 118 to 32, uh, it's a fantastic talk. And it's actually foundational to this Roman series. So can I encourage you, listen to it. Now, um, if you haven't heard... Our sermons are now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Very convenient, great for commuting. Um, Just look up City on a Hill, Wellington. Um, There's a few other City on a Hills out there. But yeah, grab the sermon from uh, three weeks ago. Really great sermon, not just for this series, actually, but for all of Christian life, uh, thinking about the foundations of humanity. Um, But just to summarize quickly, Uh, What's come before this passage, um, Paul has just explained what's wrong with the world. And he says the big problem with the world is that God is angry. And he's angry for two reasons. Firstly, he's angry because people have suppressed the truth about him. See, God has revealed himself and what he's made in, in the creation around us. Now, we can't fully know God through the creation. God is something completely other, something bigger than this creation. Uh, We can't work him out completely. You're looking at creation, but we can know enough that we're without excuse. We can know enough that God exists 
and that he will hold each of us accountable for how we've treated him. And so people are without excuse. And we saw that uh, people don't, they're not just ignorant of God, they deliberately ignore God. They, they take, uh, they, they look around them and they don't want to think that they're accountable to something bigger than themselves. That's the first reason God is angry because people suppress the truth about him. And the second reason God's angry is that not only do people ignore God, but they worship the creation that was supposed to point to God. They worship creation instead. They take the gifts and ignore the giver. And so God says, you know what? I'll give you exactly what you want. And so he hands people over to their sin. God's final judgment is yet to come, but in the meantime, his wrath is being revealed as he hands humanity over to its sin. And so the problem with the world, the world as we know it, all the problems of this messed up world, the violence, the greed, the hatred, the abuse, the wars, the terrorism, the famines, it all comes back to God's wrath being revealed against all the wickedness of humanity. It's a result of humanity's rebellion against their creator. And now at this point, there's this group of people listening to Paul, cheering him on. You tell them, Paul. Amen, brother. That's what's wrong with the world. It's them. All those wicked, godless people. Those heathens having sex with whoever they want choosing whatever gender they want and worshipping whatever idol they want rather than coming to church and worshipping God like me. Now, in the original context, Paul's mainly thinking of the Jewish people here, right? The people of God, the people who were God's chosen people, his elect And they look down on those godless pagans out there. But maybe it's you. Maybe you're just like the Jews. You're one of God's elect, aren't you? Predestined from the beginning of time. And so the problem with the world is not in here. It's out there. Those godless people. And it's like Paul's taking us over to the window. Andrew mentioned this last time. He's showing us all the depravity of Romans 1, the problems with this world, the consequences of humanity and rebellion against God. But then in Romans 2, Paul shifts from talking about the wrath of God being revealed against all humanity to God's final wrath, the day of wrath, the final judgment. And at the same time, he asks us all to take a step back from the window. And what do we see? our own reflection. See, as we point at all the problems with the world out there, there's three fingers pointing back at us. And that's what Paul's doing in Romans 2. G.K. Chesterton famously wrote to the Times in 1910. uh, It was in response to the series they were running on what's wrong with the world. This is what he wrote. Dear sirs, what's wrong with the world? I am. 
See, the problem with the world is not just out there. It's in here, in here. That same wickedness of those God-hating pagans, it's inside each one of us. As we suppress the truth about God, as we fail to treat him as he deserves, to honor the giver, as we worship created things rather than the creator, and as we look down on others for not being as good as us. Now, God has three things to teach us about his coming judgment, three results of believing this great truth. And the first is that God's coming judgment means that we're in no position to judge others. Have a read with me from the start of the chapter there in Romans 2, verse 1. Be helpful to have Romans 2 in front of you, whether it's on a phone or a paper Bible. Um, Romans 2, verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, what my heart does when I read this verse, it says, wait a second. I don't do the same things. Looking back at Romans 1, all these wicked people doing all these wicked things, I don't do those things. I don't bow down and worship statues of men or reptiles or birds. I don't sleep around. I'm not a murderer. I'm not full of wickedness, am I? Now, I don't know about you again, um, but... I find it really hard to admit that I'm wrong, to admit my faults. Uh, partly it's because I grew up with, as one of five boys, a very competitive household, and so you have to stand your ground and, and justify your actions. Uh, two of my brothers are, are lawyers now. Um, I think that says a lot. It's partly my family, but it's partly my oldest ancestor, Adam. Um, it's because I'm a child of Adam. What did Adam do when he was confronted by his sin? Adam, what have you done? Oh, uh, uh, this woman that you put here with me, she did it. And then I kind of went along. See, we've inherited from our oldest ancestor this instinct to pass the buck. The woman then blames the serpent. But if we've got eyes to see and ears to hear and soft hearts and we're humble enough to accept it, the truth is we should look at all the wickedness of Romans 1 and say, God, I am guilty. I have no right to judge others because I do the same things. See, I haven't murdered anyone, but my Lord said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. I don't sleep around, but Jesus said, if you look at someone lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And if you look a bit closer at Romans 1, envy, slander, gossip, arrogance, 
We look at the worst of humanity and say, well, at least I'm not like those people. But are you? I think the chilling reality is deep down, when you really think about it, those terrible things that people do, it's not because they're worse people. It's because they've had different opportunities to sin that we haven't had. Think about it. What would you be capable of if you were left to your own devices? If there were no laws or law enforcement appointed by God, human authorities to restrain ungodliness? Or if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, in the wrong circumstances? Or if you had the wrong influences growing up? Or if you were certain that no one would ever find out what you'd be capable of? We have no right to judge because we who judge do the same things. Do you have a judgmental heart? Here's a couple of tests. How would you react if a transgender person walked into church? What if they asked you to use alternative pronouns? How would you react? Now, it's complicated. We don't want to affirm what is clearly not taught in Scripture, but we want to show them Jesus' love, don't we? It's not our place to judge. What about a drunk person walks into church? They keep dropping the F-bomb in conversation without even noticing. You can smell the alcohol on their breath. They smell like they haven't showered for years. What are you feeling? Compassion? Pity? What happens if they walk away with the church laptop when you're not looking? What a wicked person. But God doesn't judge like us, does he? No, God judges each of us based on truth. Did you see that from verse 2? Let's read from verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? See, God doesn't judge by comparison. He judges based on truth. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The books will be open. The secrets of your heart lay bare before the living God. Do you really think you can escape God's judgment? And so if we're just as guilty as anyone else, what gives us the right to judge a fellow human? Now, I'm conscious that there may be people here who don't need to be reminded of how sinful you are. You don't look down on others because you're so consumed with how depraved and evil you are. If that's you, then take heart because you're one step ahead of the rest of us. <laughs> because in his kindness, God is giving us all a chance to repent. Which brings us to the second life-changing truth here about God's judgment. God is holding back judgment right now. And he's holding back because in his kindness, he's giving us all a chance to repent. 
have a read from verse 3 uh, so we can follow Paul's logic. So, so when you, a, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. See, the reason God's final judgment hasn't happened yet And by extension, by the way, if you're wondering why evil still exists with a good God in control, the reason why judgment hasn't happened and evil still exists, even though God could fix it right now, end all the suffering, end all the evil, the reason God extends final judgment, the reason we're still here today is because of his kindness, his patience. He's giving us time to repent. See, God has two responses to sin and evil. One is his righteous judgment. He hates evil. We've seen his wrath is being revealed now as he hands the world over to sin. And the day is coming when he will finally end all evil. But if that was God's only response to sin and evil, then we wouldn't be sitting here right now. Humanity would no longer exist because The only reason God hasn't completely wiped us out is because he has another response to sin and evil. And it's his patience, his kindness, his mercy. God is so patient with us. Not because he doesn't care about our sin, but because he's kind. Do you realize this? Do you realize that the reason you woke up this morning The reason there's breath in your lungs, it's because of God's kindness to you. And even more so, the reason that you're here today, hearing his word spoken, hearing him speak, it's his kindness that's brought you here to give you a chance to repent. So you have a choice. What are you going to do with the riches of God's kindness? Are you going to show contempt for it? To squander it, to take advantage of God's kindness as a license to sin. Maybe you prayed a prayer when you were 19, and so you've got your get out of hell free card. And so you can get on with your life pretty much as if he doesn't exist. You can keep judging those wicked people out there while you actually do the same things just not quite as overtly. You can keep getting more and more consumed by the things of this world, our family life, our career, our pursuit of success, or the next holiday, or the next investment property, gradually pushing God further and further down the priority list until God becomes a distant memory from our younger years. A nice idea that you just don't believe anymore. You get to heaven and Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Don't show contempt for God's kindness by ignoring the sin in your life. Because one day, God's patience, his kindness, 
will run out. So what should we do before that day? Repent. Do you see the intention for God's kindness there in the end of verse 4? God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So what's repentance? Well, it's different from remorse, from feeling bad about the wrong things you've done. Uh, And it's more than just acknowledging your sin, acknowledging your faults and asking for forgiveness. Uh, It's part of that. But repentance is about transformation. Repentance is about changing direction. You're heading in this direction. You stop. You admit your fault. You ask for forgiveness. And you turn around and follow God's way instead. So the question for us all this morning, whether you've been a Christian all your life, or whether you still aren't sure. The question is, what are you going to do with God's kindness? He hasn't judged you yet. You've still got breath in your lungs. You've still got time before you stand before the judgment seat of God. What are you going to do? Repent. Admit your fault and turn around. Follow God. Turn to God and his ways instead. Which brings us to the final point. God will judge everyone according to what we've done. So persist. We must persist in doing good. Have a read with me from verse 6. God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Now, Paul's main point here, right, is that there's no favoritism with God. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. No one gets a free pass. No Jew, no Christian. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, the Jews, they were the first to receive this message of salvation. So to the Jews first, but they'll also be the first to be judged because they received that message first. There's no favoritism. But I'm hoping that you're sitting there, if you're a Christian, and you've been hearing God's word for a while, you're sitting there and you're a bit uncomfortable about it, by this idea that God is going to judge us based on what we do. That we're to persist in doing good things. And the problem is, none of us will receive eternal life by doing good. You can't do it. We've, we've already talked about how you can't judge others because you do the same things. You can't clean up your life enough to get to heaven. So what is Paul talking about? Well, this is one of the limitations of preaching one passage in a whole book. 
Because if you read on in Romans, even just a few verses ahead, Romans 3 verse 9, what shall we conclude then? This is where Paul's going with his talk about judgment and human sin. Romans 3 verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Do we Jews have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. See, if you think Christianity is about doing good so you can get to heaven. You're wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's what a lot of churches teach. It's what a lot of people who don't go to church thinks Christians teach. But it's not what the Bible teaches, and it's not what Paul's talking about here. We can't do it. None of us are good enough to earn heaven. Keep coming along and hearing the rest of Romans and read it in your own time and in your community groups. But spoiler alert, here's a taste of where we're headed. Because there is one man who persisted in doing good, who sought glory, honor, and immortality, not just for himself. And he earned eternal life, not just for himself, but for all who will put their trust not in themselves and their good works and their being better than the wicked people out there. They put their trust in Jesus and his goodness and righteousness. See, in the last days, when we stand before the judgment seat of God and our sin laid bare, there will be a book with all the things that we've done wrong and all the good things we've done as well. But then there'll be another book that will be opened and in this book are the names of those who have trusted in Jesus. It's called the book of life. And so when we're declared guilty before God for what we've done Jesus will take up that book with all the wrong that we've done. He will tear it to shreds. And at the same time, he'll take the record of our good deeds, how we did persist in doing good, not in our own strength, but as we've been united with Christ, as we've been given his spirit, as Shola showed us from the end of Galatians last week. As we've shown those fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Jesus will present those good things as evidence of our genuine trust in him. See, we don't earn our salvation. That's what Jesus has done for us. But if we truly trust in Jesus, if we repent of our sin and turn around and in the Spirit, Walk with him. He enables us to persist in doing good. Not perfectly, but as God sanctifies us by his spirit and transforms us to live lives that honor him. And so we too will be welcomed 
into eternal glory. No more tears, crying, or pain. That's the future of those who don't rest on their own self-righteousness, who admit their faults before God, who turn to Jesus to trust in Him alone for their salvation. And as you trust Him, you're transformed. You repent of sin. You walk with God. Stumbling as we are through life. Failing though we do through life. Jesus paid it all. And yet he calls us to live for him. What are you going to do with God's kindness? God is so kind that he sent his son to die for you. So that God can be perfect, holy, wrathful, just judge. And at the same time, the kind and patient Savior. So merciful, so loving. It all happens at the cross of Christ. Is that where your hope is? Or is it in your own better than them attitude? Let's pray for God's kindness. Let's give thanks for his unfathomable mercy. Let's ask for his help that we might persist in doing good, not to earn salvation, but because he saved us. Let's pray. Almighty God, these are confronting words. Your judgment is confronting. And yet we thank you for your kindness that even though we have no hope of eternal life in our own strength, you have given us the good news of Jesus, the one who did persist in doing good and who calls us to repent of our sin, trust in him, and walk with him all our days. We ask for the strength to do this. We ask for soft hearts to admit our faults. We ask for a work of your spirit to transform us to be more like our Savior Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, We're going to continue reflecting on on these things. And there will be time later in the service to just take some time on your own to reflect and possibly repent. I think we can all use repentance in our life to think about what it is that you have been withholding from God to bring it to the cross. And we're going to sing a beautiful song about God's mercy, reflecting on Psalm 51. Let's ask the musos up. I'm just going to read some words from Psalm 51 as they get ready. Have mercy on me. This is uh, great. If you're feeling overwhelmed by your sin, read Psalm 51. The Psalms help us reflect on the great truths of God as humans um, and to respond both uh, in prayer and in emotion. Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out all my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let's stand and respond in song.